Now, my question for them was, what's better than chess? So I was thinking edible chess. Welcome back to River Heights Radio. I'm Carl Hauser. And I'm Hope Busby. And we are psyched to talk about today's clown dating, float finding, gator dodging, Mississippi swimming, new car owner, Nancy Nancy Drew, Drew. in the mystery of The The Haunted Showboat. This is another one written by Harriet Adams. We had the 1981 publication. You know what? I, I hope I can't do it anymore. I can't keep reading these beautifully crafted harriet adams novels (laughs) that have just been rewritten for our time i won't do it i shan't anymore well luckily the rest of these books are not revised yay yeah in their original glory so i have a few sources that i like to go to to just kind of validate my experience of these books. I want to share those with you today, dear listeners. Bookriot.com has a list called Here are all 56 original Nancy Drew books ranked worst to best by Eileen Gonzalez. That's a, that's a title that lets you know what you're going to get. Now the worst is the clue in the old album, which we've already covered. You know, I don't, I don't see how that's the worst when it's the only one so far that's featured a special sun magic that could take over the world it might be the rampant racism against romani people yeah it's probably also that special sun magic so the second worst one is the haunted showboat their review says in addition to stealing all their black characters from gone with the wind this book has astoundingly bad pacing It, it the it's the pacing is incredible So I feel like if we've made it through the two worst ones, Carl, that's pretty good, right? We have only got up to go from here. (laughs) I mean, we still have like the third worst one, but still, we made it through. We don't really know what the mystery is in this one until about halfway through the novel. Maybe, maybe further. So the other source I like is the Nancy Drew Project at blogspot.com. She does a little bit what we do and does like a review for each novel in it, I think, comedic way but certainly not as good <laughs> certainly well not as thorough right she's just doing little little reviews not very long usually not in this charming baritone so this is what she has to say i won't be able to give it a full score despite my love of the story because reviewing these books while medium woke keeps me from doing so and the book is laden with predictable racism surrounding New Orleans and Voodoo culture. This is the last one you read before. So our next episode is going to be your first time reading that book. Yes, this was what I decided. Okay, what we're talking about in this one isn't so subtle. Right. I think my least favorite part, I think the absolute line for me, was the way the Voodoo culture was treated. Sure. And suspected for no good reason. Voodoo is a legitimate religion that has been heavily appropriated by uh, mystery and horror genres as some sort of a magical witchcraft that is at its core evil or manipulative or uh, villainous when it when it just in fact isn't. I noticed in this book for the first time I was like, well Harriet Adams really loves to send these girls down south. Oh yeah. What I feel about this book is that Harriet Adams was doing that thing where you try really hard to not be racist and you're doing it in the most racist 
racist way possible. So there's just this interesting thing where at least race isn't being ignored mm. in this novel. Mm -hmm. It's being stated, though the terms are not ones we would consider appropriate today. Yeah, probably appropriate for the time, but... Um... Yeah, who knows in 1981. You know, she has very good very respectable characters of different races i think she's using classic black stereotypes uh that are minimalizing and ridiculous uh and you know one of them is going to be literally uncle rufus mm -hmm. the um the the friendly magic black guy she does a very confusing job of sort of presenting voodoo as a good thing and as a legitimate practice mm -hmm. at the same time as perpetuating stereotypes about it i compared it a lot in my head to how they treated the amish and clearly there was some criticism there the amish were not portrayed well uh despite again some seeming respect for what they did and who they were in the end the religion itself was almost one of the villains sure practitioners we're on a constant witch hunt. However, I think one of the main differences is at no point did Nancy Drew say, ah, the Amish church is meeting and talking about me. It would be the equivalent of like, oh, one of the preachers is preaching to go hunt down the witch girl or that she suspects that's happening. But that never happens. If you haven't figured out by now, there is a haunted showboat in this novel. And Nancy decides at some point that the voodoo practitioners may be intentionally, quote unquote, haunting the showboat because they want to keep doing their rituals there. And so they don't want any anyone to take it away for no reason she decides this mm -hmm. basically just because she knows there's voodoo practitioners in the bayou mm -hmm. that the boat's in and because she's afraid of it because she's white and protestant yeah um so that out of the way we haven't done a mini soda in a long time we have a few prepared even and just we've been very busy mm -hmm. we'd love to do more though but we are gonna very much try to do a mini sode about probably how they did uncle rufus wrong yeah sure though like they also just did a lot of people wrong in this one um i mean i think uncle rufus is interesting because of the trope of the black character who's just there to serve the white character and has magics from africa i mean he specifically tells nancy stories of his ancestors in africa which completely ignores the actual history of in narlins and across the south black people whose histories were ripped away from them as if he has some special connection now obviously that's not everyone but that's you know what you kind of want to see that's the ideal picture is someone who has the magic has the connections will still serve a white person uh subserviently um it is truly an Uncle Remus. Rufus. Okay, let's get into it. Yeah. This novel seems like it's going to start out straightforward. Would a trip to the Mardi Gras interest you, Nancy? And also a mystery to solve. That's Bess. Nancy says 50% of that interests me. As Nancy gazes fondly at her two best friends, <laughs> George explains what the mystery is. That's right. Our New Orleans relatives are extending an invitation not only to Bess and me, but also to the world's best girl detective but they're okay if you come too so <laughs> aunt stella who for the rest of the book is referred to as mrs havers yeah uncle colonel havers colonel havers 
and their cousin, Donna May. Donna May. Have invited them. Now we find out Donna May is a bit spoiled. She was engaged to Charles Bartolome, but now she's almost engaged to Alex Upgrove. The plan is for her to get engaged at Mardi Gras. I love how beautiful the name Bartolome is. Mm -hmm. Charles Bartolome Mm -hmm. compared to Upgrove. (laughs) Very New York name. Alex Upgrove. Bess is still loyal to Charles, who apparently refused to attend this engagement announcement. Fair enough. I mean, I'm pretty sure yes. Uh, George calls him a good sport for even continuing to work on the showboat. He's fixing it up for the family. He promised to fix it up in light of their engagement, but having had their engagement called up, he will still stand by his manly duty. But that is all the information we'll really get about the mystery for most of the book. I mean, they've got to get there to get the mystery. Hannah, sometimes portrayed as very supportive, sometimes portrayed as very afraid, sometimes portrayed as very practical. And in this novel, she's only very practical. How are you going to drive? Who's going to drive? What roads are you going to take? It might snow. Yes, Hannah, we'll be fine. My faithful little car has gone through practically all kinds of weather. We've read 35 books of this girl crashing. Hannah's back in the attic again. She's remembered they have an attic. And she's brought Nancy some of her mom's belongings, including a beautiful lace shawl and an ivory fan. You would think that would have come up in the the novel about masquerades, but... We didn't... Hannah didn't know about the attic back then. Yeah. She just like, she just busted into a treasure trove of her mom's stuff. Togo rips it for no reason. The shawl. Hannah repairs it for Hannah no reason. Hannah repairs it. This is a waste of time. So long story short, the night before they're supposed to go to New Orleans, Nancy hears Togo barking a bunch, goes down to see a man driving away with her car. The worst of it is, she doesn't even care about the car. We're told this many times throughout the book. The worst of it is she had already put her suitcase into the car. Mm-hmm. And that's not even bad. She can buy all new clothes. She literally says that. Mm -hmm. But her mom's shawl and fan are in there. The point is that we have to know that there are high stakes. Nancy Drew is too rich and too Christian to ever care about her possessions. Like, it's not just on the street or something. Mm -hmm. The man goes into her garage where the car is, and they are clear on this, locked. Like, he, he works for this car. Well, wouldn't you? If there's a free shawl and fan in there, yeah. As he drives away, Nancy gets a very clear description for the police. Dark, slender, with small, piercing black eyes. Ah, black eyes. A very low forehead, and his hair looked coarse and stiff. Hannah says, that's an excellent description. Hannah asks, you locked it, didn't you? And Nancy says, of course I did. This is an experienced car thief. (laughs) Did you shut the garage door? And Carson agrees. It's the work of an expert, all right. So there you have it. So Carson is meant to get airplane tickets now for the girls. Would have saved us a lot of time, but guess what? Airplane tickets to New Orleans? It's Mardi Gras week. This year Mardi Gras? You can't get down there. You can't get any tickets. Everyone from River Heights, except maybe you and I, <laughs> is going to New Orleans. We take our work very seriously. We Yeah, we don't have a lot of money. Don't worry, says Carson. You're going anyways, and hangs up the phone. Just meet me at the place with the girls. 
Well, Carson shows up with a stunning new yellow convertible. And Nancy says, oh, are you going to let me borrow it for the road trip? Carson's not driving a yellow car. His car would be something manly, like blue. Is yellow not a manly car? Oh, no, I don't see Carson in a yellow convertible, do you? I definitely do. <laughs> I see him in like a black limo. Would he drive a limo? No. What's a fancy car? Like a black... Yeah, I don't know. One of those that old people have with like wood paneling on the front uh, dashboard. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? Like it would smell like cigarettes on the inside. Well, Carson says, this car is yours. Even better. Ah! I was going to get it for your birthday, but wow, that thief uh, really helped you out so that you can have it early. The old car was so worn down. It had so much mileage on it, says Carson. And George says, yeah, and it had a huge ink stain from when we spilled ink accidentally. You remember that ink stain? A rip in the carpet, too. We know for a fact he got her that car within the last year. She's gotten several new cars over the course of this, this series. This is probably her fifth one in a year. Yeah. So, like, how did she wear it out so dang fast? Well, Nancy says, perhaps that thief did do me a favor, but I'd give up everything for my mom's shawl and fan that I didn't know existed. Carson, buy her a new shawl and fan. <laughs> but, Dad, what if we get my car back? Then I'll have two cars? He says, no, I made a special deal with the car dealer. If we get it back, he'll take it as a trade-in. Mm -hmm. oh, that kind of deal. Or if we, if we happen to get a car, he'll take it. Good, good. Captain McGinnis has her look through the rogues gallery. This man is not in it. Mm -mm. No priors. So they put a special padlock on their garage that night. And they don't put the suitcase in the car. No, hopefully not. So they're off on the road. They make it as far as Tartanville Ooh. when they hear a ticking sound. In a new car? Nancy surmises that there's a bomb in the car when she sees an alarm clock somewhere. Under the dashboard. That makes sense. <laughs> And she says, girls, run as fast as you can. Yeah. Stop anyone coming along. And so George and Bess run one way. She runs the other way. No cars come. The bomb doesn't explode. Yeah, we all remember that famous scene in The Godfather. How it works is you get into the car, you turn the ignition, and then you wait for the alarm clock to go off. They find a police officer and he says, golly, sure, I'll notify headquarters in a jiffy. So the officer says, you must have a pretty devilish enemy. Nancy says, yes. Bess says, he's a fiend. It is, I mean, like, an, what an absolute underreaction to an actual bomb in your car. So they take the bomb out, give it to the police for their bomb collection. They put it in a bucket of oil. Yeah, that's how they, that's how they defuse the bomb, is they put it in a bucket of oil. Does that work? Is that a thing? Is it olive oil? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But that's what they do. So they're approved to keep going. Yeah. But as they're driving along, Bess spots Nancy's car painted black. She recognized the funny shaped ink stain on the back seat of the car. That's how she knew. As the car passes her. You know when a car passes you and you're just checking out its back seat for a little bit? Nancy drove as fast as she dared, which was well over the speed limit. Mm-hmm. So a motorcycle cop, per use, stopped her. She's like, no, officer, I'm driving very fast to catch my stolen car. He says, another car of yours? What kind of story is this? <laughs> Which is you what we're all freaking thinking. You can't not have a car and have a car. <laughs> Best sets things straight. It's true. <laughs> Thanks, Bess. <laughs> 
The officer says, oh, well, okay, follow me. Yeah, let's go get him. The car gets away, but the police officer still lets them go. Yeah, but they report it first, obviously. Mm-hmm. The amount of time they spend in this book reporting that they saw the car thief, mm-hmm. that the car thief is nearby, that the cops should keep an eye out for the car thief is preposterous. Oh, yeah. And the cops are eating it up like they have nothing to do. Bass is looking a little down at this point. George says, oh, cheer up. Don't feel bad because nothing came of your clue. Which is a very odd assumption after such a shitty morning. And Bess says, it's not that. She's decided that probably that thief noticed they were following and painted the car again. Oh, another spray paint job. We'll never recognize that ink stain now. (laughs) Just then, they hear a grinding noise. Isn't this a new car? And the car stops. Nancy looks underneath the car and the whole rear housing has given away. What could do that? Some sort of acid? Yep, someone poured acid. Uh, And the best part about the acid that was poured on the rear housing is that it's specified that the car thief must have done this at the same time he planted the bomb in case the bomb didn't go off, Mm -hmm. which has to be A, the least trust you can have in a bomb, and B, the slowest acting acid. Luckily, the owner of the car shop in town is best friends with the owner of the car dealer who sold cars in the car. Small world. So he's gonna work something out. He'll take care of her car and she can rent his super good like trial car because he's going on vacation anyways. Third car of the book. Even though it's not so fancy as the yellow convertible, it is more subtle as it is dark with green seats. So they decide to stop at the Cedar Hotel. They eat fried chicken platters. This is really the meal of the book for me. And they find out that Nancy Drew's license plates have been found. Oh, does that help them in any way? Nope. But we find out that at the same deserted cabin that the license plates were found at, there was a pistol. Uh, That's right. There's be careful. guns in this book. I'll, they say specifically that the pistol had been accidentally dropped. Mm. And I, oof, what kind of forensics do you do to find that out? What this makes Nancy decide is that they have to hurry to New Orleans to beat this thief there. They eat their dinner, which is also a fried chicken platter with hot cornbread and sweet potatoes and pecan pie. I thought that was the meal of the book for sure. I thought that was just them reiterating what they had. Is that them having a second meal of chicken? Yeah, because she's like, let's have supper before we go. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so lots of, chicken, lots of fried chicken. It must have been very good. Bess is sleepy. She did eat too much. George says, I feel fine. So she drives the first leg. They're going to drive all night, even though they already paid for hotel rooms. As Bess is taking the second shift the book says Bess did not reveal her feelings but she was beginning to think that the trip had a jinx on it third book in a row we've had bad luck be a theme and she feels that the night is just plain spooky night is spooky i mean compared to day of the two things that's the spooky one Bess. well done to be clear she no longer tells nancy and george when she thinks these superstitious things but we the readers need to know she's still very superstitious she gets to a 
crossroads and does not know which way to turn. She does not want to wake up Nancy and George. So she gets out a map and she's studying it and a stranger comes to the window. Yeah, this guy just comes to her windows like, I'm camped out right there. Right, you see my tent? Right there at the crossroads. No reason. Do you want some directions? Okay. So they start to go the direction he said to go and he, he flags them down. Hey, wait a second. I, are you looking for a man? He was looking for you. What we know at this point is the car is painted black and the seats are red and white. So from this information, they decide he's in league with that man. He says, I pointed you the best way to get to New Orleans, but the guy who was looking for you went this way, which is quicker but a worse road and nancy's like then we'll take neither of those ways yeah but the funniest part is because they do want to get to a town soon after they go neither of those ways they like pull a yui just so that guy won't know where they're going like it is the highest level of paranoid that i've seen nancy and it's delightful well despite their best efforts they finally cannot stay up any longer so they stop at a hotel where gasp shouldn't we notify the police says bus nancy's car is in the parking lot when they go inside the hotel manager says oh yeah that car belongs to a family of five who have a dog cat and parrot with them like you do on your road trips it's a bigger chain of car thieves than we thought the manager brings them to their room and then he says oh i was so sleepy i forgot to ask you to register don't worry says nancy we'll do it in the morning high security at this hotel easy way to skip the bill also the manager just could have been wrong and it could have been not a family of five that were in that other car i mean the man's too sleepy to do his job right in the morning it looks like they're going to be delayed by a blizzard oh who, who could have known it was gonna snow someone should have told us Nancy decides they can drive anyways. They get to a place where there's a detour sign. I fully expected the detour sign to have been put there by the thieves, but that's never mentioned. No, and it's not like it doesn't lead them so much into a trap as into like inclement weather. Listen, if the thief is able to control that, then maybe he deserves the car. Goodness only knows what's ahead of us, Bess says, as they climb the snowy mountain in their car. Oh, it's a downed line. Sparks flashing dangerously from both of its broken ends. They also almost go off a 30-foot cliff. The car gets stuck about three feet away from the edge of this cliff. Nancy says, don't worry. One time, I had a hard time squeezing my car onto a ferry boat. Now, what the two gentlemen did is they bounced my car up and down until it truly went off the ground. And then they caught it and moved it over a few feet. Now, if two men can do that, three girls can definitely do that. It's like that old song, anything you can do, I can do two thirds of. (laughs) The gentleman who moved your car, other than being like pretty experienced with what they were doing, weren't bouncing your car in snow. Like that's just not going to have the same ability to, like, is there going to be some give there? Bess still looked dubious, but George was willing to try it. George did insist that they put stones under the front tires. A good car jouncing. I, I mean, I guess three girls can and move a car. Hypers, cried George, using her favorite expletive. It worked! Nancy, you're a brainchild. You shouldn't know that in universe. 
So they back down the whole hill, getting stuck twice. Yeah, they can't pull a K-turn or something. Nancy has to reverse down the entire hill and just hope no one else took the detour. So they drive successfully until 11 p.m. when they're in Alabama. Ugh, that is unsuccessful. They pass by quaint cabins, formerly used by slaves. Bess owed and awed to such an extent that George finally said teasingly, you remind me of a dripping ice cream cone. Sweet, but oh, so gooey. Bess, I wish that you could enjoy it the way I do. Nancy, in order to ease the tension, changes the subject. Tell me about your cousin Donna May. George says, oh, she rolls her eyes around to get her own way. Rattling them eyes. Bess says, you're just jealous. Any girl who could be engaged to two men in one year. I mean. That's the height of beauty. That can't be the toughest thing in the world. George tossed her bobbed head. One would be enough for me. Very monogamous, George is. But really, I've always liked Donna May. I wonder why she broke her first engagement. There must have been a serious reason. Not a special one, but a serious one. Yeah. Well, Nancy thinks that it might not be a serious reason. It might just be that she had a change of heart. Yeah, that's not that serious. The rest of the trip was one of banter and teasing and exclamations, even by George, over the beauty of the scenery. George says, this ride is a privately conducted tour by Drew and Company. George says that the Mississippi River looks harmless enough. But just think of when there used to be pirates on it. That's not really a commentary on the danger of the river itself. This forest looks safe, but just imagine if it were full of panthers. <laughs> yeah, that would be dangerous. Thank you. Well, they're finally there, and they meet Mrs. Haver, who is an older yet charming version of Donna May. Older yet charming. Mm, Oof, yikes. Yeah, I think the way they describe older women is always very like, they're older. But, but they still got it. They're still women yeah they're still women nancy says a little unsolved mystery overtook us yeah Bess says we were playing hide and seek oh how perfectly ghastly didn't you almost die i'm just gonna eat up your southern accents during this one george well it wasn't any fun but also we literally specifically almost died a few times we meet the servants of the house, who are Pappy Cole and Mammy Matilda, unspecified race. So I guess we're meant to assume they are white. When I started reading this book, I thought Pappy and Mammy, servants. South. Very coded black. But then the book refused to not let me know anytime someone was black by saying they were either a colored person or a Negro boy. So the fact that they didn't say, I guess they're not. Yeah. So they all get to meet the new soon-to-be fiancé, Alex Upgrove. Nancy instantly decided that he might be termed handsome. But Alex had an air of superiority, which spoiled the first impression. So Alex takes Nancy aside and whispers in her ear, You and I are going to have a wonderful time solving together the plantation mystery. <laughs> Nancy was startled. She thought the remark most inappropriate in view of the fact that Alex's engagement to Donna May was to be announced soon. We have changing social norms. You pointed out, today, meeting someone, you might whisper to them something that you are looking forward to doing with them. 
such as solving a mystery. That's not so weird. But I think it's the specific way that he's trying to isolate her, and specifically that he's doing this in front of a group of people, including his girlfriend, that makes it very odd. For me, it's, it's creepy. And yeah, creepy and inappropriate just feel different to me. One is more rules-based and one is more vibe-based. Yeah, but the creepy vibe I have read usually comes because somebody is crossing social boundaries. And that uh, makes us scared because it's like, if they would cross this social boundary, what other social boundaries would they cross? Interesting. But another big deal the book makes of Alex's continuing advances, because they're definitely supposed to be inappropriate in terms of like love and romance, and they do just get worse. But the other aspect is Nancy hasn't even been told about the mystery yet. And she certainly hasn't been told, you have a partner on this case. And Nancy doesn't need another partner on this case. Even later when she meets Charles and decides that he is worthy of being taken into the fold, it's due to his actions and never because he wants to be part of it. In fact, you should always be honored to be involved. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy, pretending that she had misunderstood what he said, says, Yes, I want you and Donna May to tell me all the details when you have the chance. Alex looked visibly upset. <laughs> yeah. Donna May has some things to brag about to George oh, about sure. her new fiance. She's going on about him, how rich he is. Not that that matters to her. But he is. Not that it uh, matters. He went to Oxford. Not that it matters, but he did. George had never before thought Donna May snobbish. So Donna May admits, I shouldn't have dated Alex, but I was lonely. I mean, Charles was away for, how long did they say? A long trip. Oh, a long trip. <laughs> Boy, that could have been two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and she started dating Alex. And that wasn't even the problem, because as we know, like, dating was a little more fluid in these Nancy Drew books than I've been led to believe it might have been. While somebody who is not engaged can date around, I do think it's seen as less appropriate because they were engaged, specifically. I'm sure it is. When Charles was like, that's not okay, that she just got really stubborn about it and was like, well, I, well I'm in love, so it is okay, and I'm going to marry him, and I guess we can get married now anyway i feel like i've dated people who would much rather break off their engagement and get engaged to someone who makes them snobbish than admit they were wrong about something yeah never admit you were wrong ned may get jealous but it never causes nancy to be like well you can't what you can't question me nancy just says oh well enjoy the feeling well besides donna may likes alex because he's a more aggressive type than charles like if charles had really liked her he would have fought for her oh boy <laughs> Ugh, i like my masculinity like i like my britney spears <laughs> toxic fest says donna may just isn't like her old self and george agrees i wouldn't say for the better maybe it's alex's influence the colonel takes nancy aside finally apprises her of the case he says are you ready to take over detective drew apparently there have been some strange happenings on the showboat now the whole thing with this show 
rowboat. It's it's down river in the bayou a bit. They are going to bring it near their house and renovate it in a few weeks. And that's where the engagement is supposed to be announced, which is why there's a deadline of Mardi Gras. Yeah, the showboat is of some historical relevance. Mm -hmm. It's a fairly famous one. There used to be a lot of big shows on there. In a storm, it got swept down river and stuck in the mud. Yep. As the story goes on, it becomes clear that only Charles is working on this boat. Like, he's just out there alone applying fresh coats of paint and being like, I gotta get this done before my ex-fiance gets engaged again. So basically, this showboat is being haunted, as we know. There's been strange sounds and music. Ghostly goings on. Foreshadowingly, the colonel says to Nancy, you'll have free reign. Don't feel obligated to report to me or to anyone else. Come and go as you like. At this point, I am giving a big sigh of relief that we're not going to have to hear about it every step along the way, her going and reporting to Colonel Havers. Oh my god. Nancy was glad to hear this. Before dinner, she goes out to the river and just kind of like stares at the bayou from a distance and shivers because she doesn't like the look of it. They say when you stare into the bayou, the bayou stares back. Donna May, who is going to be a hindrance in this case, if you haven't figured out, comes up behind her and says, that old place is positively spooky. Don't think about it. Stop it. Stop it, Nancy. Stop it. Nancy says, but I have some work to do for your father. Work? Who wants to work at Mardi Gras time? Don't you know it's the holiday, Nancy? (laughs) She tempts Nancy with a trip to New Orleans sightseeing, and Nancy says, well, I can start sleuthing later. A few hours won't matter, I guess. No, Nancy, don't be seduced by her tours of New Orleans historical avenues and streets. And at this point, you know it's going to be more than a few hours. Yeah. So again, Alex takes Nancy aside to whisper in her ear. What if he just has some really important information? Like, Donna May's a murderer. I need to tell you this. Then he should just pass her a note. Of course. But instead, he asks her to sit in the front seat with him instead of his girlfriend. No, and it's creepy, and he proves himself to be a creep. Oh, there's plenty of time for that, Nancy replied coolly, ignoring the invitation. She very, like, intentionally gets into the back seat with George and Bess. Yeah, Donna May wants us to focus on having fun, Alex, not Mm. mysteries. Who cares Mm. about... I can't say it. Who cares about mysteries? So first they go to the costume shop. This engagement announcement is going to be very costume. Thematic. Alex waits outside while Donna Mae gets them suited up as fairies. Now, George grumbled that she was going to feel very silly. I hardly think I rate wings anyway, she said wryly. Then maybe you shouldn't be sporting that pixie cut, George. Not only that, but it reminds me of dancing school when I was four. Now, George is the most vocal, but the book is clear that nobody wants to wear these stinking fairy costumes. Donna Mae had her way, however. What an utter fiancézilla. <laughs> when they come back out, Alex is gone. Luckily, he shows up soon and says, oh, I was doing some sightseeing. It's funny how you live in New Orleans, but you always forget to sightsee while you're your girlfriend shopping. Donna May says, Nancy, you and the girls will surely want to see the haunted house. What makes it haunted? Says Bess. Probably ghosts. Ghosts? <laughs> Bess? Typically ghosts. 
Well, specifically this house, I was familiar with this story and I looked it up and it is locally literally referred to as the haunted house. It can also be called the haunted LaLaurie mansion. Now, New Orleans is considered the most haunted city in the United States by many. A lot of shit went down in New Orleans, but this is a particularly disturbing story. Basically one day, as Donna May describes, this really happened. There was a big fire and the house started to burn down. So the police and the firemen showed up. They go inside to find that in the attic, many slaves were chained up and had been tortured, had various body parts chopped off of them, etc. This house is haunted because of that. Wow. And you're saying to this day, you can go down to New Orleans and help someone profit off this tragic event? I don't know why you would go there when you could just watch some special about it on YouTube. It is in this book specifically. Trying to say slavery's bad, right, yo? <laughs> But like, yes, that's a low bar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Nancy Drew is not pro-slavery. And then they hammer this point home. Nobody's really interested in that, especially Bess. Uh, so instead they go test. to like the Pirate Alley. Ah, fun. And they learn about Pierre and Jeanne Lafitte, who were too busy smuggling in slaves from Africa and selling them to do much blacksmithing. They're pirates and they're bad guys. And one of the only bad, I think the only bad thing they specifically list is slavery, <laughs> that they were part of the slave trade, which you know only pirates were involved in. Do you want to go to the haunted house where all the slaves were tortured? Or down to Pirate's Alley where they kidnapped and brought in slaves? It's like, no wonder this place is so haunted. Not only that, but Jean and Pierre are kind of let off the hook in the end as bad guys because they turned out to be patriotic citizens during the War of 1812. Bess said, well, I'm glad they made up for their miserable deeds. Let me tell you, fighting in the War of 1812, a hundred million percent does not make up for being a slave trader. I don't know if that's exactly the reparations that people are seeking. So I looked these guys up too. They were smugglers. They did fight in the War of 1812, but afterwards they became spies for Spain. Pick a genre, guys. <laughs> you don't get to be pirates, patriots, and spies nancy sees something she sees the car thief <gasps> so bess and george and i are going to do a little shopping she says suppose we meet you later i mean rude you're sightseeing with your friends and you're like bye we're gonna go shopping without you <laughs> donna may becomes understandably impatient and follows them in alex stays outside part of the reason they ducked into the shop is they didn't just see the car thief but they thought the car thief was following them and they wanted to hide so they could follow him which is a trick that nancy drew tries a lot and i'm surprised with how often it works nancy sees the thief come up to alex and speak with him interesting to me that nancy really doesn't like alex and has reason to suspect him but she still doesn't suspect him and i think it's out of this like loyalty to donna may yeah i imagine he came up and he's like yo alex what are you doing downtown oh, sh oh you're, <laughs> you're with the people that i want to rob oh god okay i'll get out of here shit oh sorry she specifically tries to see if he's lying but she just can't because his eyes are too amused they get to this fancy pants restaurant in new orleans mm. and nancy says please order something special for me and leaves the table <laughs> 
want to try this maneuver the next time we're somewhere fancy. She goes and calls the police, and when she gets out of the phone booth, Alex is right there, staring at her intently. And I love the stare-off that ensues. Alex Upgrove's eyes bore into hers. She stared back. Neither would waver, but Alex was the first to speak. Haha, <laughs> she won. She was angry that Alex had followed her and deliberately listened to her conversation. Because Alex gives away that he deliberately listened to, which he didn't have to do. Alex says, I wish you wouldn't be so mysterious. I could be a big help to you. Really, I could. No doubt, Nancy said in an offhanded way. Yeah, Alex, you could be really helpful by turning yourself in. Why don't you tell me all about it, Alex? <laughs> so I think this might actually be the recipe of the book. They have Rockefeller oysters served in the half shell on hot salt and garnished with a secret garlic sauce. They have rice stuffed chicken in the bag and pecan pie. I, all I understood was that the man opened a bag and there was chicken in there. Bess decides she could not eat another morsel until the next day. That's okay because they don't need dinner. They just need a rehearsal, Donna Mae says. Every character is like, oh god. Yeah, each was thinking that she could not become too excited about appearing in the fairy costumes. But additionally, Nancy writhed inwardly at the thought of further delay in starting her investigation. It's Mystery time, Donna Mae. The colonel says, but I was gonna go golfing. Once in costume, George says, if you girls think these wings will hold me up, I believe I'll fly away and escape this rehearsal. Bess giggled. When they come in in their costumes, Mrs. Havers audibly gasps. I thought the three girls were going to be ladies in waiting. Want to see how a winged fairy acts? George asked, impishly. She bent double and began to do a dance step that resembled that of an Indian ceremonial. I mean, wow, I didn't know she'd taken lessons in that. I don't know what that looks like, or even whether she means Indian or Native American. There's no way to know. Uh, but I don't like it. It's what fairies do. It's not cool. Bass began to chant a song in the manner of a three-year-old reciting a nursery rhyme. So all but Donna Mae at this point burst into laughter. After. But the colonel puts his foot down. I'm afraid that these fairy costumes are not appropriate, Donna May. <laughs> these are some really slutty fairy costumes. Well, I used to think he's like, I'll be a king, <laughs> but I'll be damned if I'll be king of the fairies. <laughs> Things that aren't appropriate. Whispering to your soon-to-be fiancé's cousin's best friend. And fairies at a medieval gathering. <laughs> Donna Mae is on the verge of tears. Mrs. Haver assures her she will find some more suitable costumes for everybody. We'll dress them up like space aliens. It'll be fine. Uh, Mrs. Havers, Mrs. Haver, um, maybe my stolen car is going to be recovered, in which case maybe I will have my mom's shawl and fan. Can you make sure that the costume makes sense for that? No problem. We'll, we'll do. <laughs> Bess missteps and somehow injures her arm. Nancy offers to massage the arm and George says she will get cold compresses. Mrs. Haver, in light of all this, postpones the entire rehearsal while Donna Mae continued to complain peevishly. Had her friends and family forgotten that her engagement was to be announced? Guys, mm -hmm. 
You got practice. Nancy and her friends were disgusted. Ignoring Donna Mae, they climbed the stairs to Bess and George's bedroom. What's the matter with that cousin of ours? Says George. Oh, don't pick on her, George. I think Donna Mae is nervous and irritable because her conscience bothers her. Don't pick on her, George. She did a horrible thing that she feels bad about. Bess and Donna may go to the same sorority or something. She's really <laughs> sticking up for this girl. Bess is just like, that's one of her main character traits that I love. She's so loyal. Maybe. But I also think she just connects with other pretty girls. She's like, no, girly girls shouldn't be hurt, George. Stop being mean to girls. George is usually mean. Yeah. Bess is like, women support women. We're not going to tear other women down. That's not cool, George. Except I've seen how Bess reacts to girls who put on too much makeup <laughs> and stray from their farmhouses so i do think that bess is partial to pretty girls but i could be wrong well the thing is if you're not pretty are you a woman carl so then now we're in the meat and bones of it <laughs> Alex tries a third time to get Nancy's attention. Won't you please tell me what your plans are for solving the mystery? Nancy says, truthfully, I haven't any. May I suggest some? Nancy was annoyed, but she did not want to be rude. Well, Alex's plan is for her to go out into the bayou alone with him. Mm -hmm. Which... In the morning, before anyone else gets up, before uh, breakfast... If someone isolates you like that. Well, and it's so stupid. Obviously, take her out at night where you can accidentally spend the night together. <laughs> That'll make sense later, yeah. friends. So Nancy says, cleverly, I understand the bayou's very dangerous. Neither of us is familiar with it. Sorry, but I'm afraid I can't go with you. And then she leaves specifically by going up the steps two at a time. The image of Nancy Drew. <laughs> Yeah. What a pest he is, she thinks to herself. He was like, oh, Alex Upgrove, you fox. Just <laughs> endear yourself to this girl detective and she'll think you're on her side. And every attempt at that has led to him just like at this point pleading for any admittance into her inner circle. And it's getting worse. Nancy decides to ask the only sane people around here, Mammy Matilda and Pappy Cole, for a trustworthy guide into the bayou. Miss Nancy, you mustn't go near that there steamboat. Why not? Well, it's haunted. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's what, did you not, I'm, that's what I'm here for. What does the ghost do? Oh, all kinds of things. Apparently, every time Charles tries to repair this freaking boat, the ghost just, like, undoes the repairs. <laughs> Nancy says... Oh, that's it. Okay. Such destruction sounds more like the work of a human being than a ghost. Well, Pappy says, anyways, it's Providence that brought that ship there, and we got no right to change things. Mm-hmm. Nothing must be ever changed. It needs to rest there in peace. Nancy was amazed at this point of view. What if other people think this? What if other people are trying to stop people from moving the ship? And honestly, trying to stop that from being moved because it is a historical landmark makes a lot more sense than what ends up being the case. Yeah, yeah. The guide they point her to is Uncle Rufus. He knows that they're by you like the alligators do, and he's as wise as the old owls in it. So Bess and George come along. 
to meet this guide who has white hair. He is black. His face had the look of a trustworthy, helpful person. They don't know that his handmade dugout is going to hold them all. He assures them it will. That is, until they run into a vine net. Completely sunk their boat. Like, they're in the water now. You mean you all got enemies around here? Asks Uncle Rufus. I guess nobody told him. Yeah, they didn't mention the enemies. Rude. He says, well, nobody in this here bayou has got anything against Uncle Rufus. Which I think is a funny slight towards them. <laughs> you just got here and already you got enemies here. He's gonna go for another boat. He says, you ladies climb some trees, else some hungry old alligator may bother you. Bess is alarmed because they may have to stay up in these trees for half an hour. But just then our hero, Alex, <gasps> shows up. What in the world is going on? He asks. He claims that the vine net wasn't up there when he came through. He isn't afraid of ghosts, but he says to Nancy, I went and saw the showboat and it is practically rotting away. I'm going to advise Colonel Haver to call off all work and the investigation. Nancy, I hope you'll back me up. Then you won't have to bother with any mystery. Yeah, you hate mysteries, right? And all of us can have a good time together. Yeah, he very much underestimates how much Nancy loves her job. Nancy did not reply, but she does arrange with Uncle Rufus to meet him again in a whole hour yep. so that they can go see the showboat for themselves. Alex adroitly tries to ask Nancy what she was talking to Uncle Rufus about, but she sidestepped his questions. By not answering them. Yeah. Nancy says to the girls, let's keep this trip secret. After all, Cornell said that would be okay. <laughs> but Bess says, why the secrecy? Surely you don't suspect anyone in this house. Clearly not. Oh, I didn't mean that. We may be interrupted again to go sightseeing. George says, also Bess, you don't have to be suspicious of people like Alex just because you don't like them. That's fair. I suppose he means well, but I can't stand that man. <laughs> and I know Nancy can't. Bess says, well, I can't either. Surely you don't think he put up that barrier. Nancy says, no, but he's not very consistent. <laughs> if one second he wants to solve the mystery with me, the next second he wants to have fun with me and not solve the mystery. What does he want? Me? Oh, me. It's me. George laughed. Talk about women changing their minds. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess is again one of those seemingly feminist statements. But it just serves to undercut anything you would have mm -hmm. gotten from it. When they approach Uncle Rufus's cabin, George says, huh, sounds like a voodoo session's going on. How do you know that, George? <laughs> A boy comes out and says, oh, you're going to have to come back some other time. Uncle Rufus has a emergency case. As he runs off, he called back, Uncle Rufus is a voodoo doctor. Just in case you don't know who Uncle Rufus is. I don't want Uncle Rufus casting any spells on me, Bess said firmly. Nancy was thoughtful. Do you suppose... A group of voodoo believers hold secret meetings on the showboat? I get that Nancy now knows as a voodoo practitioner. And I get that maybe some religions have to be secretive because not everyone accepts them. But like, do you think no matter what Nancy found out someone was, she'd be like, do you think that there are secret multi-level marketing meetings <laughs> on that showboat? Or like, do you think they're secretly doing timeshares 
from the like no matter what she found out someone was into she'd just be like maybe that's it or is it just is it would it just be voodoo i think it's just voodoo. it's just the booty and george says that she thinks it's very likely oh good george thank you and perhaps they're deliberately haunting it says george we'll try to find out says nancy the records they're playing to make it seem haunted are of chanting and hymns so are they trying to go for a voodoo thing or are we supposed to think catholics are haunting this like is your belief that someone's meeting there based on what people have been hearing out comes an elderly black woman who is smiling and singing a hymn Bess says she acts as if she were in a trance she sure does says george what it's Bess and george outside any massage parlor like someone comes out looking refreshed and they're like what did, what did they do to her in there uncle rufus says that through his prayer he has cured her limp in unison, the girls said, oh, we're glad. Don't turn us into frogs. But they made no other reference to the woman or the subject of voodooism. Just have friendly curiosity and it'll all be fine. But Uncle Rufus does give them a little mini lesson in voodoo. He talks about different animal symbols, including spiders and turtles who represent great patience. Just like God's patience with man. And a turtle knows enough not to stick his neck out and get into other folks' business. All the girls chuckled. Nancy's like, I don't identify with that, though. Yeah, yeah. None of, none of them seem to understand the irony there, that they should be more like turtles. Hear that, says Uncle Rufus. Oh, it's a wild duck, says Nancy. Wrong, says Uncle Rufus. Like hell it is. It was possible that persons were signaling with some sinister purpose. Uncle Rufus says, I, I guess the River Princess was pretty proud in her day. Hundreds of gentlefolks used to come to see the shows. Bess says, she's the most romantic thing I've seen in a long time. And George points out, and one of the worst wrecks. What a downer, George. Nancy says, I agree partly with both of you. Very diplomatic. If we want to talk about romantic wrecks, why don't we just take a look at Donna May's love life? Oh! Sorry. That's beautiful. <laughs> Bess shudders as they hear hammering coming from the showboat. Just like a ghost. Yep, but Nancy says, don't worry. Ghosts rarely work during the daytime. Yeah. It's Charles Bartolome. Bess asks, how in the world could Donna May ever have switched from him to Alex Upgrove? Well, you know, Charles Bartolome is a handyman with a lot of muscles and a lot of a lot of good looks but on the other hand he was gone for two weeks <laughs> Nancy and George shared the same feeling but made no comments Charles would also love to see the mystery solved he's very fond of the old gal after he gets her fixed up he's gonna go to New York because if you didn't think he was hot enough he's also an architect oh the girls were sure they knew the reason for his move, though. He is too sad about Donna Mae to stick around. Charles assures them that the old Calliope, everybody hears playing music at night, will just utterly not work. Like, he can't get a sound out of it. 
It's too old. Charles says he's not discouraged by all the delays. I'd be discouraged if every time I repaired something, it got destroyed. Nancy introduces her theory that voodoo practitioners are trying to keep people away from the showboat. Everyone else rolls their eyes. Stop it, Nancy. Charles says, well, Nancy, it's your mystery. (laughs) This bitch hates voodoo. I don't know what is going on with her. Nancy does find a clue. It's a gold hairpin with diamonds and emeralds. Charles is like, I think Mrs. Havers had one of those. Mrs. Havers is haunting her own showboat. Bess thinks that it was purposely placed to implicate Mrs. Havers. Nobody's <laughs> right about anything. It doesn't belong to Mrs. Haver. Nope. It's not really a clue to the mystery. Nope. It was accidentally dropped there. Yep. Just so you know, everyone's wrong. Bess also pulls the old scare yourself in the mirror trick. That's a good one. That's a classic. We haven't seen it for a while. Charles agrees to bring them back the next evening. But first, he says, we should have dinner together at my mom's place. Nancy's like, well, what's it like when it's haunted at night? Like, And Charles is like, I've, ne- I've literally never been here at night. I have no idea. That's when the ghosts are working. I don't work. I work during the day. It's They'll not his mystery. No, it's not. When George declared, maybe after dark, we'll be able to scare up spooks, Bess's smile faded completely. She gives her cousin a withering glance. Don't sound so happy about it. If we do, you can catch them all, George Fane. Stop talking about ghosts. Everybody chuckles at Bess. Nancy says it will be a wonderful trip. And Charles, if you don't mind, I'd like to keep it a secret. He's like, I don't talk to anyone you know anymore. He grinned and gave the girls a wink. Now this is why Charles is better than Alex in a nutshell. He says to Nancy, I'm very flattered that you're going to permit me to help solve the mystery this is the thing he didn't ask mm-hmm. he didn't request all he did was give information when it asked and that's how you get to be part of the mystery i misspoke actually mm. he says help you solve the mystery Ooh. so he's not even gonna help he's just gonna help her still nancy's point now we've seen two things If Nancy tries to pick a bouquet, something bad will happen to her. Sure. We've also seen if somebody, namely Bess, tries to pick white lilies out of a swampish area, an alligator will attack. And this is what happens. The reptile's jaws were aiming for Nancy's hand. I love that it is Bess who sees it and Mm -hmm. warns her because Bess specifically was the last one to be attacked by an alligator. Bess sees white lilies now and she thinks alligators. Not to worry, Uncle Rufus, that elderly man, succeeded in stunning the alligator by hitting the vulnerable aperture behind the reptile's ear. Then he paddled them furiously away. Phew, says George. I never want to get so close to such a beast again. I recommend that you avoid lilies then. And bayous. Best points out that Uncle Rufus was very brave. When you live with gators all your life, you don't fool around with them, says Uncle Rufus. When they get home, Donna Mae says, my, you all look mysterious. (laughs) You can't be part of our mystery, Donna Mae. Stop it. Nancy tries to deflect by saying, the most exciting part of our trip was meeting an alligator. Alex says to Nancy, well, if you saw the showboat, I'm sure you'll agree with me that it's a hopeless mess. And I hate this because he tells this to Colonel Haver 
And Nancy says nothing. Like, the colonel will listen to her. It is her mystery. Right. And she doesn't say, no, Alex is wrong. She just sits quietly as Alex comes up with this new plan to turn their regular house into a showboat for Mardi Gras, which is also, like, something that dismays them extremely, but seems not that big of a deal to me. I know that what you mean and what Alex means is they're going to decorate it as a showboat. Mm -hmm. But for a moment, I got this vision of, like, putting the whole thing on the Mississippi and they're sailing away in their house. Nancy thinks that this is a poor substitute for a showboat. And she doesn't want to give up an unsolved mystery, after all. But instead of saying any of this to anyone, she just thinks it to herself. It just drives me nuts. I could say something, or I could wait until Alex is at his most vulnerable and make him look like an idiot. When Donna Mae hears that Bess, George, and Nancy are going to eat with Charles, she bursts into tears and flees. Mrs. Haver runs after her and comes back saying she's in hysterics. Can you please not go to this dinner? How odd, says George. What ails Donna Mae anyhow? What, does she have some sort of feelings? Maybe, says Nancy. We shouldn't have said anything anything about Charles to her. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't have mentioned her ex-fiance and having dinner with him and having dinner <laughs> with his mom, who she's probably met and probably misses. <laughs> Or it could be something else. I don't know. Mrs. Haver knows, like most of us do, that if someone's in hysterics, send Nancy in to calm them down. So Nancy goes in and says, I'm so sorry, liar. And Donna Mae says, oh, don't be sorry about anything. She's admiring her left profile in the mirror, specifically. Mm, that's the good one. Go to the Bartolomes if you wish. It means nothing to me. It doesn't take a lot of emotional intelligence to say, okay, she's very hurt, and now she's pridefully hiding her pain and nancy's like oh tight sweet tight nancy was both perplexed and amused uh, she thinks that donna may is too proud to admit that she's in love with charles <laughs> best says well let's get them together again nancy says but first let's solve the mystery oh mrs haver it's fine now she says it's fine she said <laughs> it's okay she said it's okay She's done having feelings. It's okay. This is when we find out that that hairpin does not belong to Mrs. Haver. Though she does have like an identical one. Yeah. She thought it advisable not to antagonize Donna Mae further. Recognizing that she had been antagonizing her. George, however, is suspicious of Donna Mae's motives. She thinks that Donna Mae wants to make them late to the Bartolome's dinner. Very sneaky. Most of this book is them gossiping about Donna Mae. And it's so hard to figure her out. One second she's prideful and rude. The next second she's rude and prideful. I mean, who, who knows? Not only that, but they're not far away from Donna Mae because Nancy feels the need to hush them and say, she may hear you. She's right there. Bess, George, and Nancy insist on going in a separate car, probably so they can drive back quickly. And Alex is unhappy about this. But Bess assures them, we just want you two sweetie pies to be alone together. Ooh. Yeah, he's taking a strange, circuitous path through New Orleans and also dropping papers out the window. It's very mysterious. Nancy decides she doesn't like that he littered. <laughs> no, Nancy decides it might be a clue. It's a clue. She stops and picks up the paper. George says, this isn't anything special. Just a funny drawing. A maroon rectangle with a gold stripe on it. Alex comes back, noticing that she's stopped and picked up his litter. Yeah. Nancy says, did you mean to drop this? Oh, that. A kid cousin of mine drew 
it. I don't want it. And he tosses it on the ground again. And Nancy, against every instinct I would expect her to have as a detective or as someone who might just not want people to litter randomly. Yeah, just leaves it. Leaves it on the ground. That's where I could imagine a staring contest when he's like, oh, I don't want it. Drop. <laughs> So they barely go down the street when Nancy says, Quick, George, take the will. I have some sleuthing to do. She hops out and runs away into the strange streets of New Orleans. George correctly predicts that Alex will be furious. What she maybe didn't think about is how hurt Donna Mae is going to be by this. I do like that these are like the first people I've ever read about who've had Nancy Drew come to town. And when Nancy Drew just like bugs off to do mystery, actually are hurt about that. Yeah. Like, we wanted to have a day. And that's bratty somehow. Everyone else gets it. They're like, oh, Nancy Drew has to mystery. You know, birds gotta fly. But Donna's like, what? I thought we were hanging out. Yeah, she specifically says, I don't think that's very nice of Nancy. Yeah. Which seems pretty easy to defend as a statement. She's not wrong. But George feels the need to defend Nancy. Well, after all, Nancy was invited down here to solve a mystery. That's her job, Donna. May. In the most sus thing so far, Alex says, I'm going to find her and speeds off. George runs off to follow Alex. Naturally. A little bit of cat mouse dog going on. <laughs> Donna May says, well, of all the horrid things. Bess is like, well, why don't us girls go shopping? Yeah, yeah. Donna May's like, fine. No, she refuses. It's all for naught because somebody else picked up that litter on the street. There is no funny drawing when Nancy gets back to that same spot. And she's like, it doesn't make any sense. I don't see a street sweeper as if like that's the only person who can clean streets. But the fact that this piece of trash is gone makes her latest suspicion that Alex was not entirely trustworthy instantly stronger. The car thief from the north might stay in this kind of place, thinks Nancy. Uh, Why not? So she decides to go snoop. She walks into the backyard and starts looking at all of the cars that are parked back there for a second i was like the mystery oh it's an international car thieves ring no no this is a parking lot nancy finds a car that looks a lot like hers it's black with red and black seats she memorizes the license plate number as a landlady comes out and gives her a real tongue lashing squawking too so she's like don't worry i'm leaving sorry and in this landlady's defense she has nothing to do with any of the crimes right can you imagine just someone breaking into your client's car yeah because i guess i didn't mention that nancy did open the car and yeah. start looking for the rip, in, looking the for the rip in the carpet yeah alex shows up just as nancy gets back to the sidewalk and says what are you going to do next Next, Nancy says, get the police. Alex and George go get the police while Nancy watches the house to make sure the thieves don't get away. But they do because the car is behind the house and they just drive away. Didn't think of that, Nancy. She berated herself. Don't worry. I fully expected Alex to somehow mess up going for the police. Like, oh, we had a flat or something like that. Right. When they knock on the door, the landlady answers. When the police kind of give her the scoop, she gives a description of the thief, who she says is called John Lane. Fake name. Yeah. I didn't know he was a bad guy. His description is exactly like the car thief. Piercing black eyes. So this is in a situation where he sold it to someone else. Mm-hmm. That's him. <laughs> Nancy had early, like when she left, been like, meet me for lunch. Bye. Yeah. So they're going to meet for lunch. 
Donna Mae says, I'm sorry about your car, Nancy, but why even bother about it? I wouldn't want to ride in a car that had been driven by such an awful man. This is just such a rich person thing to say. Yeah. That causes everyone to lapse into silence. Did Donna Mae forget about Nancy's fan and shawl? Donna Mae looks moody for a while, but then she perks up and she says she is going to invite Ned, Bert, and Dave to come down to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. Well, I don't know if they can make it, Donna. They're very busy with college. I'm going to make sure they do. They won't dare refuse, says Donna May. The implied threat in Donna May's remark angered Nancy, Bess, and George. They surmise that Donna May doesn't want them to date Alex or Charles, so she's going to make Ned, Bert, and Dave jealous to get them to come down. That's a heavy summation, but you got there. Okay. They don't let on to Donna May that they're angry. Bess says, oh, I'd adore to see Dave Evans. George says, there's no one I'd rather date than Bert Edelton. And Nancy says, I must admit that I prefer Ned to any other escort. George jokes that Bert won't be seen as a fairy prince. And that's somehow a funny joke that eases the tension. (sighs) Says Bess, the Mississippi is such a romantic river. It's more than that, says Alex. It's one of the busiest rivers. That's not interesting at all, Alex. It's never great to read a story set in New Orleans where someone says, Thanks to the work of the best engineers in America, New Orleans doesn't have to worry about flooding anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Oof. Oof. Nancy realizes the time and says, Hey, Alex. Hey, Donna Mae. Let's head back. They're out in a boat on the Mississippi by this point. Mm-hmm. That's part of the tour. Yep. Mississippi boating. Alex and Donna Mae are like, we have plenty of time and they won't head back. And finally, Nancy has to be pretty firm with them. So they do head back, but then they run out of gas. Oh, boy. Who could have seen that coming? The gas gauge? Immediately when Alex says we're out of gas, Nancy's already angry. George in disgust says well this is a fine mess however as they're trying to solve the problem alex and donna may sat still smiling amusedly which i would be so mad yeah that's not okay no you know they talked to each other and convinced themselves that they were in the right that the girl should never have talked to charles and that they're just gonna take them out and have a little mistake such a delay was not to nancy's liking however so she jumps into the river to go get help she no hesitation with this one She's crazy, says Alex. And honestly, it's probably not a safe idea at all. Mississippi River, believe it or not, is a wide one. And uh, they describe a long swim for Nancy. It's not the Muskoka. No, Muskoka's made for swimming. Well, Bess is almost persuaded to be worried about Nancy. But George says she'll make it all right. When she gets back, Donna May is like just ecstatic. She's like, you're wonderful. Simply wonderful, Nancy. Like she's hella impressed. That's an impressive performance. I'd never have had the nerve to do that. Nancy comes chugging up with a farmer in a car with a five gallon thing of gas. I think it was in a boat. Oh, (laughs) of course it was a boat. I don't know. (laughs) Bess and George looked at their chum admiringly. Alex, however, kept silent. 
they have just enough time to call the Bartolomes, say, actually, we're going to be a smidge bit late. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's okay. Nancy needs to get the mud off of her. Apparently, she's literally got like mud caked in her hair Mm -hmm. to the point where she couldn't in the boat wipe it off. (laughs) That's the Mississippi for you. Almost as bad as the time she swam in plaster when she swam in the quarry. Yeah. Is that marble? I don't know what it is. scary. Anyway. Donna May is in a beautiful dress as she greets them on the stairs on their way out and she says oh by the way mrs bartolome goes to sleep super early you'll be back here by 10 i love that of all the things she's done this is the most innocuous statement mm-hmm. and george has is over it she's like i'm having no more of this she's like we'll be back when we'll be back yeah she flushed with anger if donna may had just been like i expect you to be back by 10 we have to work on the rehearsal. Like, okay, fine. Yeah. That that response makes perfect sense, George. But no, this is a fairly innocuous comment. Like, oh, just to warn you, she goes to bed early. Maybe we should make plans for when you get back. No! no. <laughs> George is icy. Donna May apparently looked as if she had been stung. Bess, as they walk away, says, why in the world did you talk like that to Donna May? I'm sorry, but Donna May makes me positively ill when she gets on her high horse. I am such a gossip queen. I'm a messy bench who loves drama. And yet, even for me, the conversations about Donna May have become tiresome. Yeah. She sucks. We get it. (laughs) If there's something new, I want to hear about it. You know, she gets a third fiance. I'm down to goss. (laughs) But stop spilling the she's changed tea. We've drank it. Well, Bess wants to add something. (laughs) She thinks that Alex is literally putting Donna May up to these things. Maybe. Nancy is as bored as Carl is (laughs) by this at this point. She says nothing. Yeah. Cat got your tongue, Nancy? Asks George. Well, once at the Bartolomes, Charles says, Hey, don't worry. I found dates for the other two of you. Frank Morse and Jack Memory. Thank goodness, says Bess. There's safety in numbers, especially when they're men. We're so used to having three non-sexual escorts just to kind of lift things for us and row the boats. The others laughed. How many times in this book they said the others laughed was really amusing to me. It made us laugh. It's like having a laugh track to your book. Yeah, we know what's funny. (laughs) So Mrs. Bartolome is also very attractive and charming. Frank Morse is slim and well-built with blonde curly hair. And Jack Memory is tall and dark with flashing mischievous brown eyes. I don't know what it is about the way that they describe people in the Nancy Drew books who, like, don't matter. Mm-hmm. But I hate it so much. <laughs> I don't need that, but thanks. Well, I feel like here they're trying to make it clear that these are hotties. I guess. Yeah, that's what it is, right? They're hotties. Just and say it. Just say they're hotties. Honestly, this feels like a delightful evening. They eat stuffed pheasant, and yeah. they have humorous and sparkling conversation. I wonder if George shows off her impressions. They stroll one pair at a time to the car which is hidden out back nancy takes note of the full moon because she recalls that voodoo worshippers often held meetings when the moon was full this also leads best to say the most insipid line of the book oh my god she whispers to frank it's a good thing there's moonlight or you couldn't see your hand in front of your face it's a good thing we have a sun or everything would be cold if we got rid of gravity, I wouldn't even be standing <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> yeah, just like 
I guess. And all this when they're trying to be sneaky. It's not even a statement on anything. Like Nancy shushes her. We'd better keep very quiet. So for a while, they all ride along in silence in their canoes. Once at the boat, Nancy sat up straighter, even though Bess shivered. So they all hear the organ, the old Calliope, playing music. And Nancy says, but Charles told me it couldn't possibly play. Is maybe Charles a liar? Spooksville. The old craft looked unreal and spooky indeed in the moonlight. Suddenly, a ghost, sheathed from head to toe in white. A terrified gasp escaped Bess's lips, and the ghost flitted into the boat as if annoyed. What is that? Just like a, wave, like a wave of the hand? Like... Yeah, and from the illustration, it's very clear that this is just a sheet. It's a sheet ghost. This isn't like a white figure in flowing white robe or something. Next is some hymn chanting. Charles says, a voodoo meeting must be going on. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're hearing like, oh, good God is our God. But they notice that the place is dark and there's nobody in there. Did the strange rites take place in complete darkness with the audience sitting motionless? And invisible? This is the thing that seems spooky to me. Not a sheet ghost, but like spooky sounds that might just be a remnant from a different era. Yeah. Like those are ghost sounds. Not only that, but they next see a colonial man and woman enter the boat. And they're completely mystified by this and in awe. Was she perhaps coming for some secret herbs sold at the voodoo meeting on board? It's going to be hard to get them to sell them to her while they sit in complete motionlessness. And for some reason, was the 18th century attire required? And it's just like she's working so hard to make this a voodoo thing. So Bess says, maybe Uncle Ruth is here and is going to give the woman a treatment. Nancy says, I wish I knew. So this woman in 18th century clothing shakes hands with a series of imaginary guests. Bess says, poor thing, she must have lost her mind. It looks that way, Nancy agreed. That's how a ghost acts. Why would you think it's a sheet instead of people dressed up in historical clothing going through historical actions with invisible folks? Yeah, the two things a ghost might be, I I think that one is a ghost, not a sheet over a man. Exactly. Creepy as F, right? But George says, let's go ask him what's going on. He can probably solve the whole mystery in one minute. Excuse me, sir, are you a ghost? Well, he isn't able to solve the mystery in one minute in the end. But Nancy also thinks that they need to wait because Mm. that woman is in a trance and it might be disastrous to awaken her. This is all one treatment to get her to quit smoking. So the new plan is for Frank and Jack to go on board alone. Mm -hmm. Check it out. Look for voodoo peeps. George and Bess are going to stay in the canoe. Near the gators. Charles and Nancy are going to follow the 18th century man and woman. Maybe make out a little. They sneak up on this guy quietly. He sees this woman into her house, says goodbye, see you later. Mm-hmm. And then they approach him. A look of fright came on to this poor man's face, but it gave way to one of amazement upon seeing a smiling girl standing there. He's embarrassed. He says, please pardon my attire. 
there's a special reason. A special reason. Why I'm wearing what it. What special reasons? <laughs> I know. So he is Henry de la Verne. Nancy says, can you tell me why people think the showboat is haunted? I'll tell you the whole story. Lavinia is my twin. We grew up on the showboat. My grandfather was the captain. My grandfather died of shock and injuries after the storm brought the showboat where it is now. How tragic, Nancy murmured, deeply touched. Lavinia was fine for a lot of years. She married, but just a few years ago, her husband died, and now she's crazy. Uh, especially on the nights of full moons, she insists we dress up in historical attire and go to the showboat. It is a very special reason. I'm a bachelor, by the way. I humor Lavinia all I can. You are very wonderful to be so patient and thoughtful. It turns out that hairpin Nancy found earlier belongs to Lavinia. Hey, mystery solved. Well, thanks for tuning in, guys. <laughs> Henry is visibly disturbed to hear about the ghost and organ music, and he agrees with Charles that that organ can't play. Can you imagine if some detective came up to you and was like, have you you been going to this place? And you're like, oh yeah, you know, it's just my childhood playground. And he's like, oh, that's Saul's. I was trying to figure out who was going there. And you're like, yeah, mystery solved. And he's like, so you were the one who moved the, the equipment? And you're like, yeah. And he's like, and you were the one who did all the murders? And you're like, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of murders the whole time you've been there. What? <laughs> Apparently another thing Nancy heard was a tom-tom. Henry says, oh, I have heard the drum. I thought the drummer was some quote-unquote Negro who had inherited the instrument from an African ancestor. Everyone we're hearing about is like, oh yeah, slavery? That didn't really interrupt my connection to my culture. Now, obviously the pirates were like, Pack your bags. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Nancy asks Henry, well, my theory is it's voodoo meetings. Henry says it's possible. But when she says Uncle Rufus, he's like, he's a respected member of our community. I'm thinking no. Yeah, shut up. Even the I suppose or whatever, nobody is giving a warm response to Nancy. Yeah. So it really feels like while Bess and George are a little bit in agreement with Nancy, it feels definitely like Nancy is the most racist, anti-voodoo of everyone in this story. Yeah. Nancy tries to pry further, but Henry says it's a family matter. Some secrets gotta stay in the closet. Skeleton secrets. He mutters that it would be very foolish if the colonel tried to move the ship and abruptly leaves. He implies that his sister would not like it because she would lose her special crazy place. Charles says maybe we'll find a skeleton hidden away someplace on the showboat. Mm. Nancy laughed. Perhaps a family skeleton. Oh, a creepy term. So as they're paddling away, Charles says, I've got to give you credit for following a good hunch. I like a girl with initiative. If it hadn't been for Donna Mays. Oof. Nancy thought to herself, I have another hunch. Charles is still in love with Donna May, in it, even if she has hurt his pride. And feelings. And trust. And betrayed him. I 
love the idea that you can only be upset that someone broke up with you if you're still in love with them. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just like, well, we're, you know, clean wash. She felt it best under the circumstances not to make any comment. <laughs> yes, Nancy, do not bring up to this man that he's probably still in love with the woman he can never have again as you're boating along in the dark together. Better part of valor there, Nancy. Nancy says, Charles, you're absolutely amazing the way you can see in the dark. But Charles says, don't praise me too soon. I think we might be lost. Well, they are lost. So Nancy was again wrong. She's wrong a lot in this one, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Just more than I've ever seen yeah, her be wrong. Yeah, we're used to. After trying to find their way for a while, they decide to give up and wait for daylight. Now, how safe do you think it is for them to be sitting around in the dark in a bayou? <laughs> overnight i feel like that's very unsafe it concerns me Mm -hmm. i was just thinking like it's not like it's an open lake you know what i mean where you could just sit in the middle and be like i could see something coming you're in a bayou like you're in a swamp Mm -hmm. anything could be anywhere i don't know that's scary to me yeah well three hours later their friends are frantic (laughs) Bess is sure that something terrible has happened to them, but George scolds her. Don't say such things. You know when she's sleuthing, she just won't give up. Mm-hmm. So they all go onto the boat and find that a bunch of walls and doors have been hacked into. And George has her accident of the book falling through a rotted stair. Frank runs downstairs, scoops her up, and says, you took a header. I'll be all right, she said gamely. Nothing hurts but my leg, and I can stand that. Okay, can you stand on that? Yeah, yeah, right. So they all have to just wait around until dawn. At dawn, Charles and Nancy come canoeing up to the showboat. Yeah, they finish their canoodling, they start canoeing. I guess you all thought we were lost. Well, we were, says Charles. Well, Jack says, let's do some more searching. Nancy agrees. I love how Jack says this. He says, let's go look for old Bonesy. I'm going to call every skeleton old Old Bonesy. Old Bonesy, yeah. Bess says, we have been out all night, and I'm a little bit worried about what the havers will have to say. Bess is the socially minded one of the group. The whole time, Bess is like, I really should go. Charles smiles and says, don't worry, mother will take care of that don't worry uh mom knows that if i'm out all night with a lady she should lie about it for me yeah yeah which means it's happened before nancy now has the theory that there was a record player playing the different sounds on the ship oh good that's not interesting so that takes care of that george thinks that if he has both a calliope record and a tom tom record that is quite a record collection yeah and if he has a second record player to play at the same time that's quite a record player collection (laughs) the others laughed cue laugh track (laughs) nancy decides at this point that she's going to enlist uncle rufus Mm -hmm. you know after all everyone thinks he's upstanding i mean if he's got the approval of an elderly twin in period clothing you know he's got to be good (laughs) yeah yeah. So they all go back to the Bartolomes. They have breakfast. They're so tired after breakfast, they take a nap. At this point, they've been on this dinner date or whatever for almost a full day. Yeah. Donna Mae, when they get back, 
says, my goodness, you really made a visit. She becomes pretty suspicious when she sees George limping about. And Aunt George says, oh, I just fell on the stairs. Clumsy of me, wasn't it? Like, that's the classic excuse for having an accident. Yeah, but it's also technically the truth in this case. Donna May feels that she's being lied to. She decides that her friends are not going to tell her anymore. Well, she says, good good thing you won't have to date Charles and his friends anymore. The boys what? are coming. Uh, Hypers! They're really coming? And Donna May says smugly, I told you they would. Yeah. I jealous the hell out of him. So Nancy says, what has Alex done to try to move the showboat? Right, because it was Alex's job to find a way to get the showboat moved. The colonel is sure that Alex has exhausted every means. Mm-hmm. But Nancy began to wonder if he really had. That next day, Donna Mae brings them all into New Orleans to get clown suits for the boys. Sure. Because they won't dress as fairies, so let's get them clown suits. Yep. Real quick, while in New Orleans, she's like, Donna Mae, can we go by the river? Sure, no problem. Okay, I'll be right back. And she runs into a tugboat. The first captain she meets says, of course I'll move that showboat. Just let me go see how hard it's going to be. The first one, too. Just yeah, like- yeah, yeah, yeah. Nancy said nothing about her errand after getting back into the car because she felt Donna Mae might be upset, not because she was doing that, but because Donna Mae might be upset that Alex had not explored every possibility. By the end of this book, Donna Mae will be quite disappointed with Alex. (laughs) At once, Donna Mae complained about Nancy's secrecy, however. Nancy said, I'm full of secrets, all right. I'll let you in on one. My next stop will be the police station. Oh, good. Thanks for taking me on this shopping trip while you do errands that I'm either not allowed to know about or incredibly dull. The police officer says that Nancy's car still hasn't been found, but they did pick up a bag at that place where the guy had been staying. John Lane had been staying. A bag full of women's clothing. Apparently, Nancy's initials were scraped off, but it is her suitcase. And the shawl and fan are still there. Nancy is ecstatic. I'd rather lose my car than this shawl and fan, she reiterates. You did, so good. But just then, the officer gets a phone call. Nancy's car has been found. Oh, good. Apparently, the thief sold it to a dealership and bought a gray sedan from them. Okay. But the serial number proves it was her car. Yeah. So Donna Mae says that Nancy's going to look adorable in that, that shawl. And Nancy asks them to stop one more time to talk to Uncle Rufus. Mm-hmm. Donna Mae became a little impatient. She wanted to hurry home and talk with Alex. Again, this is super rude, Nancy. Mm-hmm. Now this is the time you should have brought your own car. Mm-hmm. When Nancy gets to Uncle Rufus's cabin, she promises Donna Mae that she's going to hurry. But when she goes into the backyard, she has to wait three whole minutes because Uncle Rufus is cooking up a tonic. Dang it. Yeah, and she doesn't want to, uh, you know, interrupt. He probably was brewing a potion from herbs and uttering prayers for success and efficacy. I mean, that seems like okay. It's a good thing to do. He offers, he says, if you ever need a tonic, I'll give you one. It'll fix you up. She says, I'll let you know. 
So he's very puzzled. He knows that none of his neighbors own a record player. Many of them own drums, but none of them he suspects of bringing them to the old showboat. He says, but I did overhear a conversation between two white men from the north. What they said was kind of queer-like. One said, I guess the old gal hasn't any pirate gold after all. And the other man said, I'm going to keep at her until I find out. Could mean anything. Nancy agrees that that is a puzzle. A hard puzzle. But she asks him to be her lookout and watch the showboat. That will be easy detective work, says Uncle Rufus. When they get back home, George has broke this case wide open. (laughs) She's like, I took a moment to talk to Alex. No one has tried that yet. I don't think we were even clear that George stayed home for this trip because her leg hurt so badly. Apparently she spent the day flirting with Alex, basically. I don't know if we were clear that Bess came on the trip. Yeah, Bess did come. I don't think she said very much. (laughs) Just sat in the back seat the whole time. But yeah, uh george got alex to think that she has a crush on him yeah she has a really good clue he apparently showed her a bunch of photos and she is sure that alex upgrove is a fake his Mm. stories just don't match up what said bess and nancy i mean it said george but she says he did let me borrow this picture i'm going to show you she made a wry face I think he believes I have a crush on him. Nancy and Bess stifled giggles. So Nancy says, let's go ask Henry. He's from Oxford. I I heard that he graduated Oxford. This Oxford class photo with Alex in it, maybe, you know, they went to Oxford. And George points out, uh, Henry's old and Alex is not. They didn't go to Oxford together. And Nancy says, nevertheless, I'm sure he keeps every yearbook, including the recent ones. The older you get, the more you keep track of the people (laughs) who went through your college. Yep. So Nancy says, let's return the hairpin that we figured out is probably Luvenia's. Yes. And and ask Henry about all this. Exactly. She says, I know it's a long shot, but let's sneak out so nobody knows and go ask him. At this point, the book is so close to over. I'm legitimately wondering how they're going to wrap this up. Mm -hmm. That's the pacing in this book is we've gone so long without it being anything that I'm starting to be like, what could this even wrap up as? Well, Henry says, my sister's old and a little crazy, but how about I go get her? Nancy feels that he's very chivalrous with his sister, who is still a very pretty woman. And appears to be perfectly lucid today. Yeah. Henry gave Nancy a surprised glance as if to say, I was all wrong. I love how many glances in this book say so much. He had been convinced that his sister would hate to have the boat restored. Where is she going to have her midnight walks? But instead, Lavinia is adamant that she would love to see it restored. Seems that she would rather enjoy the boat while sane than walk around it while tranced. Henry tries to stop Luvenia from telling them the quote-unquote pirate story. Skeletons in closets. But she will not be diverted. There's a legend that some pirates hid some treasure under the bulkhead of the showboat. 
This has led to some family embarrassment as people claimed that their grandfather was in league with the pirates. Oh no. So that's why they call it their family skeleton. Personally, Henry and Lavinia think the whole story was made up by the showboat's rivals to just create a scandal so people would go to their showboat instead. Makes sense. I hate going places that have gold buried in them. At any rate, their grandfather did look for the gold himself and never found it. Now Lavinia is too tired. She goes to bed. So they say, Henry, we have one more question one for you. One more thing, they say, Columbo style. See this photo? Who's this guy? D- do you know if it's real? So he goes into his yearbooks. He looks up Alex Upgrove. Then he cross-references it with updated photos. I don't know, he's got a lot of pictures of people from his college. But what he discovers is that the Alex Upgrove that went to Oxford is not the Alex Upgrove that they know. And in fact, the picture they have may have been slightly altered by someone who is very good at forgery. George, you were right about Alex being a fake, exclaims Bess. This is very unfortunate, says Henry. Nancy goes to look out the window and is startled to see Alex's face there. He's been spying on them. George correctly bets that he'll never show up at Sunnymead again. Bess says, maybe now Donna May will come to her senses and be her formal self. I love that Henry calls Alex Upgrove a pretender. Mm-hmm. Wait, the Foo Fighters song? Mm-hmm. Nice. How in the world are we going to tell Donna May the truth? Asks Bess. Eh, she'll figure it out. Well, when they get home, there's no time to tell her the truth because Ned, Bert, and Dave are there. Yay! Ned says, we convinced the university we ought to look over the football situation down here for next year. Bert chimes in that it also happened to be their mid-year break. Everyone's got boys except Donna May now. Well, she doesn't know that yet. Well, she'll find out. Nancy noticed that Donna May was being unusually charming. How they hated to tell her this bad news when she seemed so happy. Donna May says, we won't wait for Alex. Let's have dinner. Nancy whispers to Bess and George, for the sake of Ned, Bert, and Dave, I suggest that we be gay as possible during dinner. Gay it up. They like to watch that. So Alex still hasn't shown up well into the evening. And dinner's over. And Nancy takes Ned aside, apprises him of the whole mystery, everything that's been going on, and the truth about Alex Upgrove. She's like, shit's gonna go down. You might want to get out of here. (laughs) Listen from the banister. I'd like to tell the Havers privately what I know. Ned says, I can take a hint. I might have known you'd have a big mystery to solve. Okay, we fellows will hit the sack. Go upstairs and practice football. The way Nancy chooses to approach this is the whole, I'm afraid that Alex is not coming back approach. He's been misrepresenting himself. And uh, after we caught him spying on us, I think he ran away. Nancy would make an amazing private detective with these bedside skills. Your boyfriend is not coming back. (laughs) Colonel Haver's jaw is set firmly. And Donna May says, that dreadful, that deceiving, that horrid man. 
Mrs. Haver tries to reassure her daughter by reminding her that they might have been embarrassed even more if this had come out after the engagement. <laughs> and we later find out that Alex was down to go through with the marriage since this family's got money. That silly Donna May could think of nothing but the overwhelming chagrin of the moment. She wept and laughed hysterically, like women be doing. And the colonel asked if this is at all connected to the showboat mystery. <laughs> Nancy says, I'm afraid that it is. She thinks at this point that Alex is in league with the car thief. <gasps> but the colonel asks what we're all asking by this point. What is the mystery? Yeah, what's going on here now? <laughs> he doesn't really receive much of an answer. Basically that there's pirate gold, maybe. And that is the answer. These gentlemen have staked their lives, their reputations, their sanity. Their car bombs. To look for a treasure that may be only myth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. More on that later. Donna May does calm down, and she joins the conversation about what might be going on, but then suddenly she has another fit of hysteria. You know, you gotta go through them after your second fiancé goes. She confides in Nancy, I've just realized what a dreadful thing I've done to Charles. Oh, you're just realizing that? And he didn't deserve it. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Nancy felt sorry for the girl and was sure Donna May still loved Charles. She was a little irked at her fickleness, mm -hmm. but she decides to comfort Donna May anyways. In the morning, Donna May was quite composed and had a more mature attitude. She says to Bess, George, and Nancy, I've been very stupid. I still love Charles. I shan't go running after him, but if he'll take me back, I'll be very happy. And she's completely undeserving of this man ever coming back into her life. If mm -hmm. the only time she realizes this is after... The other guy leaves. The other guy turns out to be a villain. <laughs> well, after that heart-to-heart -heart with Donna May, Captain Runcy shows up of tugboat fame. Right. He's here to he's here to see what he can do. So he's off to look at the River Princess to see if he can even move it. Nancy, Ned, George, Bert, Bert, Dave, Bess, all It's a big tugboat. Come along to go see the River Princess. Many of them for the first time. Ned decides that he's going to find that pirate treasure. Screw you, Ned. We've been working on this for a while now. There's no way mm. anyone's going to find this pirate treasure. Well, after all, the De La Verne's grandfather looked everywhere. And uh, Alex and Spike <laughs> hacked up half the ship being ghosts. You don't know that yet, though. But no, you don't know that yet. <laughs> But you know who does find that treasure is Nancy Drew. Oh my god, I can't even tell him because I can't even with this. She finds a wide board with knot holes. It's just an extra wide board. That's all anyone needed to look for. With knot holes. With like finger holes or something. Yeah. And Ned says, well, this can't be it. It's not under the bulkhead. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh, those pirates were clever. It's under the bulkhead of the theater. I don't even know what that means. Well, I don't know what a bulkhead means, but... But, like, just check everywhere. Obviously, that's what the ghosts have been doing. Hacking up all the doors and windows. Yeah. Well, under that floorboard is a metal chest. And inside that metal chest is a mass of gold coins. <sighs> and now we go cartoon. 
Ned says, we've found it. We've found it. When have you ever heard Ned that excited to find a treasure? I think he only gets that excited after a touchdown. Like, golly gee, golly gee. (laughs) He runs his hand through the coins. It's that cursed gold. That pirate gold will get you every time. Decides it's $50,000 worth of gold. He he weighed it as he he weighed it with his hands. (laughs) And Nancy and Ned did a little dance together to celebrate. You just imagine them like both holding hands and like going in a circle and being like, we've got the gold. But there's something they haven't noticed behind them in this room. Uh, Is it the alligator? Two sinister figures. Two people jump out and they hit them with what, sticks? Sticks. Sticks. Knock them out with sticks. How long were these guys just hiding in this room waiting to see if something would happen? Yeah. Just mm-hmm. for it's good. It's uh, Something will happen. Something will happen. Yep. Because it doesn't specify they were like following them or something. No, nope, they're just there. Hidden in this room. But you know who's not here? Nancy and Ned. Bess is like, what's going on? Yeah. So Bess up on the deck says um nancy and ned have been missing for a while also she notices the showboat's on fire one of those is a lot more common than the other we must do something says bess when they find nancy and ned's limp bodies these bert and dave go down there with handkerchiefs over their face right they put them over their faces too, Nancy and Ned's faces considerately as they bring them back to deck. Yeah, handkerchiefs for everyone. See those lumps on their heads, exclaims Bess. Um, what does it mean? So, slow- What does it mean? <laughs> Means they were knocked out. That's good forensics from Bess. Yep. Slowly, Nancy and Ned come to. Nancy says, the treasure, is it still there? Dave asks, Tre- what treasure? Treasure. <laughs> Oil paints. What are you imagining, Nancy? Stop imagining things. It was an authentic pirate chest filled with old coins. That doesn't sound right. Wouldn't that be under a bulkhead? Just then, Uncle Rufus and Charles Bartolome both show up in their canoes coming from opposite directions. Probably a smoke signal. I mean, fair. Uncle Rufus says he has seen nothing, but a neighborhood boy saw two figures go onto the boat with a record player. Hmm, could that mean something? They inform Charles of what happened with Alex, and he says, hmm, I'm sorry for Donna May. (laughs) (laughs) Sure you are, buddy. Bess explains, she's just crushed. She realizes how foolish she was to think that she was in love with Alex. You know, Charles, despite what you might think, Donna May has always been very fond of you. She specifically told us she doesn't mind how cold you are in bed compared to Alex. Charles looked thoughtful, but made no reply. Mm, Something to think about. Uncle Rufus says... I'm sorry, is the fire still going? Just let's keep going, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Uncle Rufus says the spike is in a shack nearby. Okay. Spike's the other bad guy the the car car thief thief. the car thief is spike and Mm. he is holed up in an abandoned shack there's always an abandoned shack ned says let's go get him and captain wrenchy says i'm older than the rest of you and i offer this advice girls don't go on this manhunt those fellows are too dangerous it's not the advice that you'd hope for it's a little bit disappointing like i'm older than all of you so i can tell you one thing women stay home with your kitchens (laughs) oh thank you and even more 
more disappointing is the fact that Nancy reluctantly concedes to him. Yeah, maybe the canoes just aren't very big. I don't know. Well, those boys catch Spike all on their own, but Alex gets away with the chest. Now, if Nancy had been there, Alex would not have escaped. No, but he did. Well, thanks for listening, reader. That's about it, I guess, because it's done, right? There's more. We see the whole week. Every day. It's like, but Nancy still fretted. Alex was still missing. The pacing's weird. Everything, all the climax just happened in like the last eight pages. And now, with five pages to go, we just have to hear about a week without Alex. Yeah, the showboat is rescued from the fire. Good. Captain Runsey is able to bring it downstream. Great. The whole neighborhood comes together to repaint it and repair it it's really a, fast. It's a wonderful life. It goes a lot faster when ghosts aren't tearing it up. Every and when night. Charles isn't the only person trying to take care of it. I imagine this is kind of like a song montage, this part of the book. And we see Charles and Donna May flirting and laughing and such together. So another kind of change was taking place than just the steamboat. A sexual change. (laughs) Bess in particular is thrilled. Oh, I do hope they'll get married soon. Bess sighed audibly. Nancy still could not get Alex Upgrove out of her mind. But the showboat is all fixed up now. And Colonel Havers says, let's go to the parade. Bess says it's just like being in a fairyland. Isn't it the most exciting thing you've ever seen? Fairies are always throwing beads for uh, for (laughs) flashes at Mardi Gras. (laughs) Nancy says it's simply gorgeous. And George says it's absolutely super. During all this time, Nancy had not forgotten Alex Upgrove. Who? (laughs) So now it's Shrove Tuesday, the day before Mardi Gras. The boys are all dressed as clowns. Nancy says, I have a hunch. Maybe it's far-fetched. It is. But I feel that we'll find Alex Upgrove today. Ned, how? Nancy has decided that that little drawing of the maroon rectangle with a gold stripe through it was representative of a A float. A parade float, of course. (laughs) And she has decided that Alex, in some way, will be using those pirate coins in the parade. Of course. It all makes some sort of sense. Probably because Alex made some kind of arrangement to rent the coins to the parade committee. Yes, of course he did. He rented the pirate treasure to the committee. So the cash that they'll give him for renting the coins Uh is going to get him out of town while he's still in his costume. Okay. Which will make it hard to identify him. Okay, and they, okay. Bess asks. Now they could have gone online and gotten plastic ones, but okay, okay, okay. Bess says, and leave the chest of pirate money behind? Oh, what a fool he is. No, he'll take that too. Oh, okay, okay. Nancy's plan is for them to like separate into couples because it'll be suspicious if they're all wearing the same costumes. Like you're looking at a crowd, you're like, ugh, a crowd of revelers. Or you're looking at a crowd and you're like, ugh, a crowd of revelers and some clowns. (laughs) Sure enough, eventually down the road comes a pirate float covered in maroon velvet. Maroon? But wait, are there any gold stripes on it? Yeah, a gold stripe down the side. That's so reminiscent of a note I once heard about. There are three legit looking pirates, but a fourth pirate is sifting gold coins in his hands. It's just less legitimate. (laughs) 
to the delight of the crowd. A knight and a skeleton ask him to throw them some of the gold. The cloaked pirate merely laughed. It occurs to me, when you rent someone $50,000, that's just a loan. That's what that is. After they pass, Nancy says to Ned, I think that was Alex. Yeah, I think so too. Let's follow him. I'm going to notify the first policeman we see. Ned thinks that's a good idea. Now you gotta be careful in Mardi Gras, because about half of those are, are just exotic dancers. Nancy's plan is to follow Alex so that she can identify him to the police when they catch him naturally getting a closer look she says oh that's alex all right Mm -hmm. oh ned look he's going to jump and get away but he won't get away from me says our hero ned such a good ned voice thank you (laughs) ned runs at this man on the street and the two crashed to the pavement Mm mm-hmm Gold coins everywhere, I assume. Several revelers screamed. Alex does not get away from Ned's vice-like grip. A fight in New Orleans on Mardi Gras? What I especially love is in their brief scuffle on the ground, somehow Alex's hat comes off. His hat comes off. His wig comes off. His wig comes off, but surely not his fake mustache. His mustache comes off. Oh my goodness. And most of his makeup gets rubbed away. Yeah, I just just see Ned with a fistful of Alex's hair rubbing his face on the grass. (laughs) Alex says, what's the meaning of this? You're under arrest, says the police officer. Oh, hi. Thanks. Based on only Nancy's word. Did you, she, I'm way, sure she mentioned Carson. I haven't done anything wrong, says Alex. According to this young lady, you have several crimes to your credit. He didn't say he didn't do any crimes. He just said they weren't wrong. The officer named only one of them, which was knocking Ned and Nancy out and setting the fire. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's one of them. And mentioning that is all it takes to get Alex to break down and confess. Yeah, well, Nancy's there. And it's ironic because they didn't even purposely set the fire, apparently. Yeah, uh, (laughs) Spike was just smoking or something. Yeah, Spike lighted a match, but then they had to run away, and Spike must have accidentally dropped the match. So, which, so, (laughs) did they hit them before they lit the match? Yeah. And then light a match to see who they'd hit? Maybe. It's very confusing. I think it's probably just trying to get them in less trouble, maybe. Well, there you go. So it turns out that this was all Spike's plan. Oh, good. But he needed somebody with class to help him out. And all he had was Alex, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, Nancy Drew, spoiled the whole game. And yes, this is where we find out that he really had intended to marry Donna May and gain a social position for himself. <laughs> and I stuck to that plan because it was in my bullet journal. And I always follow my bullet journal. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have, but I did. Nancy and Ned exchanged glances, as if to say, this is the translation, what a tremendous conceit the man has to believe he could have gotten away permanently with such a scheme. Without Nan- without George, like, he would have. He was doing fine. So now we get a full, like, everything is explained by Alex. Explain it all, Clarissa. The vine net was by Spike. Sure. Uh, there was an invisible ink on that maroon and gold drawing. Oh, good point. That wasn't much of a note. After all this, the officer says, Well, Upgrove, your masquerade has ended. Your pal is behind bars, and that's where you're going. 
going also. Dependent on a jury's verdict. (laughs) It's too bad you chose the wrong kind of company when you got along so well with nice folks. And here's the thing. Not super well. He only got along with them well because he lied about who he was and his past. And because one of them didn't mind that he was a little bit, like, manipulative and abusive. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a shame. It's a shame. Ned says Nancy did a magnificent job. And Bert exclaims, hip, hip, hooray! Striking an exaggerated pose. Now that the mystery is solved, let's have some fun, Nancy says. But suddenly... A wistful feeling came over her. Oh. When will I have a chance to solve another? Will it be next? What's the next holiday after Mardi Gras? Christmas? I don't know, but soon she was to be in the midst of the secret of the Golden Golden Pavilion. Pavilion. In a gay mood, the young people all returned home. The colonel, who's been sitting at home with everybody else this whole time... What? Uh, What? ...offers Nancy the pirate treasure as a reward for solving the mystery. No, no, no. That wouldn't make her an amateur. Oh, I shan't claim that, says Nancy. I'd like one coin as a souvenir, but you and the De La Vernes should share the treasure. Pretty presumptuous to tell him who to share the treasure with. How many coins do you think were in that box? $50,000. Yeah, I was going to say, because, like, asking for one gold coin, that's still around $100, $500, depending on how big that box is. But she's never going to cash it in. <laughs> the colonel says to her suggestion, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wonder if we're going to see a trend of increasing rewards offered to Nancy as the series continues. What I'm excited about is between this parade committee and the pavilion coming up, it seems like we're getting increasingly civic mysteries. (laughs) I like that. Well, says the colonel, you are responsible for something even more important than solving the mystery. Solving my daughter's snobbish behavior. Yep, Donna Mae is now engaged to Charles Bartolome. Nancy says, oh, I'm so happy to hear that. And Bess and George gave a rousing cheer. So this book ends zooming in on Donna Mae hugging Nancy gratefully. And on her cheek, the young detective could feel a few tears. Donna May whispers in Nancy's ear. Don't whisper. She doesn't like that. You helped me recover something more precious than all the gold in the world. My pride. (laughs) Well, uh, we will uh, meet you listeners in the pavilion. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Carl. And I'm Hope. Go Go Wildcats! to have a special episode about this video game sometime i have a we have a there's a host of video games we can um oh i don't know put them on our patreon remember to support us at our patreon (laughs) you can email us at riverheightsradio at google.com or find our patreon river heights radio we'd really appreciate it instagram at river heights radio twitter at river heights fm River Heights Radio on Facebook and River Heights Radio on YouTube. Uh, and give us a review or five stars on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you're listening. Yeah, if you listen this far, I mean, why not? We actually put a, a lot of hours in.